Fetiform, the podcast for the F2F Music Foundation. F2F uh, seeks to enable all youth to pursue continuous and rigorous training in music to their highest level of interest and ability while striving for the best academic achievements possible. F2F designed to provide disadvantaged students in high schools, middle and elementary with the opportunity to excel in their academic endeavors by utilizing the benefits of music to enrich their lives and the lives of others in the community. Bell Lewis, award-winning Hammond organist, keyboardist, an accomplished singer, producer, arranger, and the the founder and president of F2F Faith to Form, the Music Foundation. Dr. Jess Shatkin became a physician because he loved working with kids, adolescents, young adults, things they do and say fill him with wonder and the struggles children and their parents sometimes face inspire him to do his very, very best work. And I can attest to that. He enjoys coming to work every day and enjoys the things that he does. Every child and parent, says Jeff, has a unique perspective and set of concerns. His job is then to listen and learn from them and then share the evidence-based strategies that uh, he feels will best help them. He's also authored more than 100 articles, chapters, published abstracts throughout his career, along with three books. And we found out just a moment ago that he's also a musician. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Jeff, thanks for being on a faith to form. We appreciate you dropping by today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And just, I know it's easy because it happens all the time, but I think you're calling me Jeff and it's Jess with an S. You know, it happens all the time. I cut to restaurants. I make a reservation. I say, hey, I'll be in party at two, four, six. My name's Jess. They say, sure. Spell that. I say J-E-S-S, S like Sam. And they say, great. Thank you, Jeff. How can we help? <laughs> Frankly, Jess, you need to change your name, okay? Just because I, <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it comes down it to. It would be easier for the rest of the world to to adapt to that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. We're, F2F is all about music and, uh, and 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 encouraging children, changing behaviors, and uh, there are so many things uh, from a music standpoint that, uh, benefit, uh, children. And that's what, uh, obviously F2F is focused on. Talk about your role here, uh, with, with children. And you, you've got a, you, obviously you've got a very busy schedule. You see many, many folks. Uh, what are some of the big concerns that the, the kids are facing today? I don't care whether it's elementary or middle or high school or even, College, what are some of the things that are the biggest challenges, especially at this time of our history? Well, I, I think one of the points you just made, you said, I don't care what age group I'm talking about. And I think you, you say that because you're like, you know, let me give me give me the lay of the land and I'll give you the lay of the land. But there's uh, there's something important in what you said, and, and that is the recognition that problems change at different ages and kids face different things. When you're eight years old and you walk past the television and mom and dad are watching CNN and they're seeing issues around the Ukraine and, and the war or issues of COVID, you look at that and you notice and you can understand the terms and the words uh, if you have questions you can ask. But it doesn't have the same emotional weight to it that it does when you're 12 or 13 or beyond. When you walk past the news at that age, you're metacognitive. You can think about the world differently. You can abstract in your thinking. And you say, oh, my God, the world is messed up. What's going on? And that's the reason that we see so much more mental illness really set on around puberty. 
huge amounts of, of emotional reckoning and cognitive reckoning happen at those ages as we see the world differently than it once was. The magic years are coming to a close, and we're facing the world where school competition means more, peer pressure means more, people have greater expectations of us, our body's changing in the most crazy of ways, our parents tell us that we smell, but we don't even notice it. You know, we have all these urges that we don't know what to do with. So there's a lot that goes on. The, the area that interests me the most, and the reason I chose, I think, to go into child, adolescent, you know, young adult psychiatry, is that those transitions between childhood to puberty and puberty into sort of college and college into early adulthood, that, that spot between about 10 and 30 years of, of age, so much happens in that time. And, and that's what I really like to work with. I find that time of life really exciting and challenging. And kids in those ages are dealing with everything that we're all dealing with, but under their own magnifying lens and the way that their developmental level often dictates that they see things. So when you're young, you're dealing with rules and regulations and you're kind of coming into line and be getting a little bit civilized by school and by your parents and by your church or whatever else you go to where you get your support and your guidance. As you hit puberty, you start to question all those things. You push back. You're trying to find your own feet. You're dealing with issues of, am I good enough? Am I competent enough? You're dealing with issues of managing emotion and learning how to regulate your emotion. And as you head into adulthood, the stressors only mount. Life never gets easier. It gets harder and harder, uh, maybe until retirement, but I haven't gotten there yet. But it just gets more and more responsibilities, more and more challenges, more and more concerns around your kids and finances. At some point, and I, I've noticed this myself in middle age, uh, you get more confident to the point where at least I think where me and my peers are like, okay, we're, we're okay. You know, we're going to be okay. Maybe there, you know, you've gotten uh, far enough along that that you've had some bumps, and and we want people to have bumps. I think one of our concerns with parents and kids these days is they don't get enough bumps, and, and those bumps need to be. Uh, conquerable, and they need to learn that they're capable of overcoming those things. So I gave you a big, long answer, but I hope that that gets us in the ballpark of what you're looking for. I really think it does, and that I think the wide range of, uh, of people that you're talking about, that you uh, that you uh, meet with and, and support and help uh, through your uh, practice is, uh, is is wider than I thought it would be. You know, you, you mentioned up to 30 as, as well as being a problem. I've got a, I've got a question for you, though, too, as well. With, with, you know, the past couple of years with this pandemic uh, hanging over our heads, I would assume that that has generated in itself a whole new world of issues and conversations that you've had with people. Is that true? You know, I think it's made things more intense, but I hear from people commonly, and it's probably just a, a misstatement, but I hear people saying, what is this epidemic of mental illness amongst our youth, or has COVID caused this epidemic? And I would say an epidemic, by definition, is something you don't expect, something that comes out of the blue. COVID's an epidemic because we didn't have COVID, and now we have COVID, and people are sick and dying. That's an epidemic. Mental illness, always had it. We're just now identifying it better. And I think some of the things in our society are making it more clear, more apparent, uh, easier for people to get treatment, more people are trained in it. So we're seeing numbers go up, but they're not going up like, oh, it was never here before, and now it's here. So I wouldn't say it's an epidemic. You didn't, but I'm just saying that people often tell us that. But I would say that uh, COVID has really shined a light and increased the intensity on some of these things. Within two months of COVID hitting in March of 2020, we saw insurance claims go up for things like self-injury, suicidal behavior, uh, not drug abuse because people were more at home and not out as much, but depression and anxiety, really high levels. And that, that lasted for a while, and it's variable since then. depends on who you're looking at and, and what you're seeing. And now that we're coming out of that, 
all the good social support, all the good structure that school provides or work provides is getting back in to our in our veins, and we're starting to function a little more normally. And it was it was kind of relaxing in a way, as long as you weren't sick to be at home for a little while. But it didn't really make anybody feel better. Mm-hmm. By and large, uh, there are a few people with school phobia or work phobia who might have felt better because they didn't have to face those fears, but it didn't make anybody better. Yeah. We, we are communal animals. We need to be together. We need to function together. We do better that way. Yeah, that's, that's right. A very true point. Thanks. Thanks for that, uh, Dr. Shotkin. Val, you had a question. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, that's one of the things that I was uh, really concerned about as well. Was, uh, uh, you had mentioned, Doctor, about um, you know, the communal aspect with people and primarily with young people people, which is where my focus has been, that some of them have been really depressed over the time of us being more or less locked down, locked in. And uh, kids have said to me, I teach about 20 private uh, students on the piano, and they just Mm -hmm. really couldn't stand being locked in as much. And they they were always saying, you know, I I, want to be with my friends. I miss my friends. And the same thing applies for uh, bands. Uh, they couldn't rehearse together as they used to. Uh, they couldn't wait to be able to get back to rehearsal, to get back to school. And I see now that I'm working with some of these students in school, the smiles that are on their face just to be next to each other, to be yeah. together, and to be able to feel that camaraderie of being able to play together. is It's a really nice thing to see. And I was just wondering, from your perspective, have you experienced that type of thing with kids up until now? Yeah, I I think very clearly. I have my own kids. I'm one of five kids myself uh, growing up. I think I've worked in schools and I've worked in clinics and hospitals with kids uh, pretty much my whole life, save a few years after college. So I I think that... uh, that kids really benefit from being around each other. And when they hit adolescence, and those kids that you're probably teaching a lot of them, they're one of their, you know, what their what their brain is designed for at that age, what evolution is telling them to do is to partner with their peers. Before puberty, we spend about less than 10% of our time alone without parents around, without adult supervision, or with peers without adult supervision. But after puberty, we spend about 35% of our time without adult supervision. And we need that. That's natural. That's expected. My 21-year-old son just came home from uh, college. He goes to college in Europe. He came home. And I'm like trying to schedule time with him because what do you, I mean, he loves me and I love him, but he really wants to see his friends. And that's yeah. totally normative. That's expected, you know, because right. he... Uh, well, because evolution tells us this is the time to find your mates so that you actually can mate and find the best nesting spaces and find the best place to reproduce and raise your children. And so we are turned on in every single way, and our hormones from testosterone to oxytocin to dopamine are driving us towards peer engagement, prioritizing that, and making sure that we fit in with our peers. This is why social media is so, in some cases, uh, excitable and toxic for kids because it really is constantly uh, pushing them to measure up against other people. And that can be pretty uh, offensive to your psyche if you're constantly, we're measuring up ourselves against people all the time anyway at that age. But when you you can get on the phone and you can see that, you know, I said, hey, Val, you want to hang out after school? And Val said, no, I can't do it. And then I get on my Snap map and I see that on Snap on Snapchat, on the Snap map that Val's hanging out in Washington Square Park and I wasn't invited. I'm like, oh my God, he said he was busy and he couldn't hang out. He said he had homework or he had piano lessons and now he's hanging out with friends and I'm not there. 
I want to I want to just jump off a cliff. You know, it feels so bad, and it feels so bad that pain, because our our brain is built to really care about those peer relationships more intensively than ever during those years, because that is life or death. If you find the right mate, if you find the right people to protect yourself with, if you hang on with the right clan, you're going to survive, and your progeny are going to survive. So it's life or death in the mind of an adolescent, even though they know it's not life or death consciously. The brain itself is driven to to engage at such a, a level and to make peer relationships the most important thing. So I think when parents understand that better, and I've written a book on this, I hope you don't mind me plugging this book called Born to be Wild, oh, no. about evolution and, and how it impacts our development. And it's all about essentially why kids take risks and how they engage in risk and why they do these things they wouldn't normally think to do because they're driven by their brain to do this and their hormones. And when we understand this, we can be much more empathic towards kids and we can work much more with what we have as opposed to working against them or trying to put them into a box or manage them a certain way. So I think back to you know Ray's original question, I remember my own adolescence really well. In fact, we all remember our adolescence really well because we actually have better memories from those days than other times of life, earlier or later, because those are the years in which we take the risks that are going to help us survive or not survive. So the the memories we have of the poison mushroom we ate by accident that made us really sick or the girl we asked out who shunned us and, and now we will never talk to her again, those memories stick in our head more than anything because they matter for our survival because that's those are the years in which we strike out and, and act independently. And when we understand that, we can do a much better job by our kids in terms of raising them and helping them negotiate these troubling years. Uh, one of the reasons we're talking uh, with you today, Dr. Shatkin, is uh, the Faith to Form the Music Foundation. As a musician, you can appreciate uh, the, uh, the benefits of, of music. And F2F, uh, basically, uh, one of the things that we do inspiring students who are interested in music by providing them with instruments and such, reducing uh, academic performance gaps uh, between low-income and affluent students, and inspiring music students through uh, jazz and, and the influence worldwide. So, And basically, building bridges between cultures, regardless of ethnicity, religion, or age. So from your perspective, doctor, let's talk a little bit about the musical aspects of, of, and the benefits of uh, music in, in our children's lives. What do you think about that? I think that music is a remarkably powerful thing that we don't entirely understand, like most things in our world, but that from a very early age, kids tap into music. My mother used to say that my grandparents commented on the fact that I would sit in front of the TV as an infant and tap my foot to the music even before I was a year of age. And she said my grandparents commented because they'd never seen a kid do that before. Something about music, we hear certain melodies, and it's certainly evocative of old times, future hopes, sad things, happy things. There's something very uh, connected. Uh, uh, 12 simple notes, right? But we are able to somehow, with those 12 notes, connect in an incredible way and to keep inventing new ways to blend those notes in ways that, that shake us up. I, I can't tell you the number of kids that I've worked with who have said to me, either as adolescents or as young adults, if it weren't for music, I'd be dead by now. Whether it's because they picked up an instrument or they got into music and became a big fan of music. Uh, I talk about music with so many of my adolescent and young adult patients. I keep two guitars and an amplifier in my office. I play guitar all the time, and I often will play with people or do a little teaching with them, and that's one way for us to bond. I think one of the reasons that we see young people doing better in school or having an intellectual 
closing closing of that divide that you're talking about between upper and lower income and so forth. One of the reasons we see those improvements is because kids start playing an instrument and they feel proud of themselves. They feel good about what's going on. Their brain starts to grow in a certain way. And they're learning something. And as they learn one thing, as they develop one good habit around practicing an instrument and feeling competent, other things become easier. We know that building one sort of keystone habit builds uh, leads to other good, healthy habits. So when you start sleeping more you, in a healthy way, not too much, but in the right amount, you start exercising more. When you start eating better, you start exercising more. You start sleeping better. When you start playing music and learning about music and understanding notes and understanding uh, how the, the instrument that you've chosen works and you feel a little better about yourself, you start functioning better in other ways in your life as well. So there's a natural sort of cascading that happens. And I think music is... I'm all for the sort of scholar athlete, musician. I mean, that's the triple threat right there. You know, you're learning, <laughs> you're learning an instrument as well, and you're athletic enough that you're staying physically fit. I think that I think that's the key to life. Now, here's the, here's a question for you, doctor. Rock musician and or uh, uh, doctor, uh, w- w- what came first? What was the first desire there before you got into the practice? Well, when I I was born in 1963. Uh, when I was five, I became aware of the Beatles. And like so many people of my generation, uh, that just shook my world. I had every Beatles record by the time they broke up. I scrounged them. I collected them. I started saving my money to buy Beatles records. Crazy. And then I got into all the other music that that leads to. And I wanted to be a musician, uh, absolutely. But I come from a family of non-musicians. I mean, there was a piano in the house and a few people played. Uh, I I like to think that maybe had I gotten proper training, I might have really chased it down and and made that a career. But early on, I realized that I also loved working with kids and I wanted to be a pediatrician or some version of that. And so then I you know, got involved in public health and eventually made it back to medical school in my late 20s and have been really happy with my career. I've always played music. Almost every day of my life, I've picked up the guitar or something else. And I have now, as I move towards, you know, in middle age, I'm, I'm able to play more and I'm able to use a little more time. My kids are grown and out of the house, so I have a little more time to myself than I used to. I love making music. I, I produce it. I have a home studio. I write songs. I, I play everything. I hope my retirement is a combination of, you know, 20 hours of clinical work and 20 hours of, you know, playing in Tuesday night smoky bars. Uh, I, I guess I'm hoping I can do both. Yeah. But uh, I think in another universe, I might have gone the musical route instead. But it's hard yeah. to say. Well, I, 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 may, I may not have ever been good enough, you know. Well, you don't know that, do you? But, 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 but obviously... Obviously, you're very good at what you do, all right. And I know we've got just a couple more minutes with you. Give us a couple of takeaways as parents, as grandparents, as it relates to kids. What can we do uh, to set something positive, to, to, to plant some great seeds and to, uh, and to make sure that we're doing the right things uh, as we usher them along into, uh, into adulthood? Well, that's a very big question, my friend. And there are many, many things that we can do, so I'll keep it really simple. I think that one of the most important things we can do is check in with our kids regularly and spend time with them. I like to call it being there because I like that old Peter Sellers movie. But the idea of just being present, uh, giving your kids some time every day, and that doesn't mean uh, you know uh, going over their homework with them. That's good. That's important. And that needs to happen too sometimes or maybe every day depending on your kid and, and what the demands are. But dinner time where everybody doesn't have their phone out or their device and everybody's sitting together mm, or yeah. after dinner, reading time in bed and sitting on the couch. I'm a big fan of like a reading hour in the house where even at the age of three, four, five, kid, 
turn devices are off. Everybody sits on the couch with the dog or the cat or whatever it is, and everybody, parent included, pulls out a magazine or a book. Kids can look at picture books. But we, we need to give our kids time to explore the world at their own pace without a computer telling them what it is and how to interpret it. And, and so putting a kid in a pile of dirt with a paperclip is an amazing gift to that kid. You know, just let them sit in the dirt with a paperclip, and they'll make a whole world. But you give them an iPad, and they're limited to what's on that iPad, and their imagination is bigger than that. So I think that there's a problem there, and I think that the other thing that we need to do for our kids is just check in with them. How you doing? Stop. Put down your phone. Five minutes. doesn't have to be more than five minutes. Check in with them. Know what they're doing. Know their friends. Know what they're studying. Ask them questions. Share your life. These are the kind of things, the touchstones that really matter the most in my mind. Everything else is commentary. That's well said, Doctor. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time today, too, Dr. Jess Shatkin. Out of New York and uh, for Faith to Form, I'm, I'm thinking we've got some good information here as we move ahead. Thanks for really being a part of the uh, podcast today. We appreciate that as well. Yes, thank you once again. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, and thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. Well, there you go. You got some great advice, and you didn't even have to pay for it there. I mean, how, how good is that? I'm, I'm just saying, Faith to Form, the podcast for the F2F Music Foundation. I hope you're a regular subscriber. I hope that if your kids are interested in music, if you're interested in getting them interested in music, well, you've made a good uh, place to start here with the F2F. And you can find out more obviously by going to the website, but do remember the importance of children uh, in your lives, the importance of you in your children's life. And as the doctor just said, take some time to slow down and say, how you doing? And just get with them and be a part of that. Uh, that to me is an incredibly important thing. And that's what Faith to Form does, really. When you get right down to it, we are the connection point. We are providing the instruments uh, that the kids need to enrich their lives and to really engage in life in a much, much better way. Hope you enjoyed it today. Val, it was it was fun talking to the doctor, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. Absolutely. I enjoyed it immensely. So there you go. F2F, the podcast for Faith to Form, the Music Foundation. And that, indeed, is a wrap.